everybody to the M&A Monthly Podcast hosted by myself, Lewis Williams. This is the July edition of the podcast and I'm very lucky to have our co-host Cove Eden from University of Kent to join us today. Hi mate, I'm very excited to be here. Good stuff, good stuff. This month we are covering two deals each um, and we'll be starting off with uh, Google and Fitbit which will be uh, predominantly led by Co. Uh, and then moving over to uh, Uber and uh, Postmates which will be predominantly led by me. Uh, that's the first part. Uh, more to come on the second part a little bit later on. Um, won't, let, won't let you in on what we're covering just yet. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll start off with Google and Fitbit and um, yeah, we'll start there. Okay, so the first deal we're going to be looking at today is our Google and Fitbit. So uh, Google have proposed a $2.1 billion takeover of wearable, wearable technology company Fitbit. This comes after Fitbit stock's price fell uh, to an all-time low, which seems the perfect time to buy for Google as they look to have a stake, a stake in the growing market and um, wearable technology, which we'll talk about in much more detail later. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, we're going into a history of the two. First, we'll start off with Fitbit. So Fitbit was founded in 2007 by James Park, the current CEO, and Eric Friedman. <laughs> um, realizing there was a potential market for wearable fitness trackers. Originally, they pitched the idea with a wooden box and a circuit board and raised 400,000 pounds to begin making the product. So they finally launched their, launched their first product, the Fitbit, in 2009, after two years um, after founding the company. So Fitbit now have five product lines, the Charge, the Versa, the Inspire, the Ionic, and the Ace, which is a children's line. And um, they each marketed at different demographics. So you've got like a higher end one. Uh, like yeah, I never knew that, but it's just the one product, so yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, their current market cap is at um, 1.82 billion, so obviously they're gonna be um, paying a premium on that, which is actually, um, and a share price even of um, $6.64, which is down 80% from their IPO. Right, okay. Which we'll get into the reasons yeah, for that yeah, yeah. in a bit, obviously. So um, the decline was caused by offering um, a second offering of shares of 3 million and skepticism by investors of new products like the Blaze, which didn't go down too well. Because right. obviously we haven't heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> as well as there was a rise in competition, such as the Apple Watch, yeah. which was a massive factor for them. And you can literally see um, when the Apple Watch is released, the stock price just falls because yeah. they can't compete with the um, levels that Apple are able to um, produce. Um, the revenue, they're currently um, working with a 1.43 billion revenue, which actually down 31% from the last quarter. Still amazing, actually, considering. Yeah, no, they're, a, they're still a massive player in the, yeah. that field because it's a massive industry. This could be caused from the coronavirus outbreak, however, because obviously people have been more conservative with their spending and consumption in the UK has taken a massive hit in this time period, as seen. Yeah, like, that's interesting. I would have thought maybe um, consumption would have gone up. Um, sort of have a different effect because so many people are looking to do exercise and stuff out. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, but no, but um, potentially they're choosing the Apple Watch instead. So I've, I've known some people personally that have got Fitbits over the uh, Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, fair enough. But I guess just in general, people are less willing to spend their money because yeah. there's a lot of uncertainty about what's going to happen. Perhaps, yeah. So now we're moving on to a quick history of Google. Obviously, everyone knows the name. Google was founded in 1998 by Larry Page. And it's actually not that long ago, is it? It's not really, is it? That's what, um, 
22 years ago yeah crazy isn't it um but yeah by larry page and sergey brin after the two met at stanford uni and started working on a writing a program that'd be like a directory of websites which would be later known as google and your name actually comes from the word google which is like an infinite number pretty much right. And essentially, and in the pair, the pair filed for a copyright for their program in 2001, which since then, obviously, they've seen rapid growth and is now one of the trillion dollar companies. Yeah. Um, however, the company itself falls under the conglomerate of Alphabet, which is separate from Google, which like they own the Google brand amongst many others. Right. Um, however, the Google section is made up of Google Search, Google Maps, YouTube, Google Play, Gmail, Android, right. obviously there's a few others which people know about, yeah, yeah. and then they'll they separate the Google brand from other companies, so they, I think they own Nest as well, right. and I think Fitbit will fall under that other yeah. section of Alphabet. Yeah, yeah, keep it separate. Okay. So yeah, cool. um, so now look at how they've been doing, how the two companies have been doing in the past two years, and for Fitbit is a bit more of an interesting one because okay. in the last two years, um, it, well, it's remained pretty similar. In, 20, in 2015, however, they saw a massive decrease in the share price, as we talked about earlier, from the release of the Apple Watch. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, like before that, Fitbit really were the key player within the market, and then Apple just completely came in and, and took the market share off them, really. And since then, you know, we've seen um, that the net income has fallen ever since, right? Yeah, so, yeah, the net income um, in the past um, uh, three years, even, has been minus 277 million in 2017 and then minus 185 million in 2018 and like last year showing a minus 320 million pound loss wow. actually crazy and like you said about how the rise of apple watch um uh recently so in 2015 however 2014 they had a uh, market share of 44 percent right so that was when they were a massive player obviously before the apple watch and now they're looking at a, a market share of 3%, wow. which is absolutely insane. It's huge. And I mean, now for Apple, wearable technology is so key. It contributes about 20% of their revenues, mm. thereabouts every quarter. Um, you know, you're looking at the watch and um, the AirPods and, you know, the two really popular products now. Um, yeah, I mean, moving forwards, is that potentially what Google are looking to do in terms of actually creating their own watch or...? I um, I think so. They're going to try and work with the Fitbit brand and current technology that they own, right. trying to create that. But we can, I've also got a bit of that, a bit of that later on. Yeah, we can go into a bit more detail. Yeah, it's key as well if you look at it in terms of like comparing the two products. So, do you know roughly about how much the Fitbit price is for? It's like hundred and fifty or hundred and twenty or something. I think they range from about eighty pounds to like one hundred eighty pounds. Right. Yeah. So obviously they've got a premium model, which is their competitor to. Apple Watches right, direct competitor. Has more sort of features to it, is it? Yeah, so oh, it's it's a bit more similar in design to the Apple Watch, and then you've right, got their more okay. simple one, which is about eighty pounds on Amazon at the yeah. moment. Yeah. See, for me, you know, this week I bought an Apple Watch. It was uh, I think it's about two hundred pounds. It was on offer on Amazon, and if I was to compare, it, I'm using it mainly just for so I could track my running. I wanted like something that was quick, just to show me uh, like the time and everything like that. And in fairness, both the Fitbit and an Apple Watch would both do that. But the advantage that the Apple Watch offers is that you have so many more features, right? And exactly. so the difference between £80 and £200 for extra £100 
is that I think for a lot of consumers it made sense. And if you're already an Apple user, then you've also got the loyalty mm. to the brand as well. So, um, yeah, really interesting to see, I think, if Google were to take over the company, then what they would do with the Fitbit. Because also, obviously, their premium model is very similarly priced to the um, cheaper yeah. Apple Watch. But with the Apple, I guess they, they're in the technology of the phone, in the technology of the um yeah the watch and they can like share the data so much easily and um that kind of stuff it'd be interesting to see if google can uh, implement that with their like pixel phones right yeah 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 uh, and, and now that you see apple's promotion that of late it's all about linking the watch and the phone together and saying about how things are better together so something that potentially google are looking to directly compete with but yeah mm. cool Okay, so, um, so I think the the revenues in the past year are definitely a contributing factor towards the uh, decrease year on year, sure. as well of the share price we were talking about the steep decrease, especially recently. How it just <coughs> sorry, um, yeah, recently obviously they've made those massive losses, and so I'm, I'm guessing investors are looking at this and being like, what is going on? So, I mean, and then Google, on the other hand, absolutely massive revenues in the past few years from many different sources as well. Yes. Um, so, obviously, they've got their ads, which actually make up 80% of their revenue. Wow. Because, obviously, a lot of their services are ad-based. Just shows how huge it is. Isn't yeah, it? exactly, yeah. exactly. So, it makes up 80%. And from their search engine to Google, for example, they all rely on ads to bring in money. Yeah. So, revenues for them were $136 billion in 2018. Um, to 161 billion in 2019, wow. with a net profit margin of 21 percent. That's overall, including taxes and everything. They made 21 percent. Yeah. Streamlined business model they've got, isn't it? Really? No, they're, they're really, they've really um, minimised their costs. So obviously, and their net income was 34 billion last year. Wow. Which is quite, which is quite impressive on their part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Google has also invested heavily into the smartphones. We talked about earlier the Pixel in recent years which is um their main new product they've tried to release right yeah I'm, I'm, i know of it yeah which um hasn't been as successful as they wanted it to but it's still quite a prominent uh, player in the smartphone industry um i think you could definitely say google's a cash cow in the different industries that they're in because right. obviously technology is kind of it's a maturing market at this point and yeah, like the video yeah. sharing the browser which most of their stuff comes from but they've got a massive market share in these um, industries. Yeah, and the other thing is they have so much money in cash, isn't it? Like 13-something billion uh, yeah. in cash, which, again, gives them the opportunity to go, go into markets that are evolving, like, you know, the wearable tech. Uh, and obviously, uh, I know it's not something that we've directly discussed before, but, you know, looking at something like the Google Glass, which is mm. something that never materialised as it was meant to but it's something again that's along the lines and technology that could be shared as we're now looking at ways that which we can wear technology like the airpods or the like the watch but you could also have the glass included so it's just it could be this this potential mm. fit that um google merger could allow us to basically have all sorts of wearable tech from Google mm. moving forwards. It could just be uh, like the, the main starting point in terms of their venture into wearable tech. Yeah, I think the the glass is also a great um, like example of how Google is trying to invest in these like new emerging like products and markets. Yeah. Uh, this one failed, but this time they're going a bit more safe with Fitbit, which is really like an accomplished brand. Yeah, and that is the thing because they've they had that first mover advantage. They're so well established within the market already. 
And that's what it offers, isn't it? Really? Yeah, because even though they've got the low market share, there's still a lot of potential for them to move on because they've got such a big brand in that yeah. industry. Yeah, I mean, their brand doesn't equate to the 3% market share no. they have, right? You know, and the bargain is that they're such a well-known company, but they're just failing so bad at the moment because they yeah. can't really keep up with the strategic drift that yeah. has happened because of Apple. Yeah, know? I think... I think they've also suffered. There's been like a lack of innovation. Yeah. So they've they've obviously got, they've just released a new the Versa Two, which is their premium one. Right. But other than that, they're pretty just standard. They haven't yeah. they haven't changed too much from their original. Yeah, and they're so easy to copy, aren't they? You know, there's not a lot of differentiation within the logo. Oh yeah. You know, you've got so many other things now, like uh, what's it, the Garmin and other yeah. watches like that, which offer well, like the Samsung more. one as well. And the Samsung one as well. But all of those ones outside the Apple ones are all quite similar in what they offer because they're all like to do with Android and exactly and what do you think about this for a question so you know if we're looking at the smartphone market you've got Apple as number one Samsung as number two and potentially Google or Huawei as number three depending on what market you're looking mm-hmm. at right Xiaomi as well as a, yeah. a Chinese yeah yeah in if you're taking like a western market like the UK and US do you reckon how much of uh an impact as having other wearable accessories like the watch or the AirPods have on the like the, the consumer's impact in their decision when they actually purchase a smartphone. So like for me, if I'm buying an, uh, an Apple phone, it could potentially be because I want to have the watch and I want to have the AirPods as well. Mm. Through like, getting a Pixel, you know, you could buy other headphones and things, but you're buying into the brand as well. And if you have other elements to it, like you have the wearable technology to go mm. with it that's all synced in with your phone, it offers a, a more of a complete package to the consumer potentially moving forward. So an interesting thought. Yeah, I do think when you're considering buying a phone, you want to think about all the stuff around it. Because obviously, yeah. doing your research, you're like, there's all these other other like avenues you yeah, can you go with it. Well, don't you, really? Yeah, because you because buying a Pixel, buying a um, the new Fitbit, obviously, yeah. if they can link, you're going to be like, oh, I kind of want to get the Pixel because it will link to my watch or yeah. get the it watch will link in, to my it ties Pixel. Ties in completely. Mm, try and make sales elsewhere. Yeah, and uh, tying in as well. I mean, we're going on now about the technology and stuff, which um, go into if you want. Mm. Um, so I was just going to do a quick analysis of like why Google were um, going to buy Fitbit and the conditions around it that have made them go for it okay. so Google recently haven't been able to create a fitness watch they haven't um, whether it be lack of like expertise in that area or not having like the, the infrastructure in place to do it but they haven't been able to so this acquisition will um, allow Google to access a market that's worth 34 billion. Wow! And by uh, 2023, it's predicted <coughs> it's predicted to jump double every like year from now on, which I think is like I find that fascinating. How it's yeah, definitely. Every year the market's doubling. Yeah, how far does that go? Mm. Very interesting. It's it? a very quick market at the moment. Though. Yeah, yeah, and especially because they've got so much cash to you know plan into this product and this project. You know, mm. they can they can really penetrate the market if they okay. wanted to. And as soon as they've already got a market share within the fo- uh, mobile phone industry, linking it again, you know, they they have the ability to do so quite quickly. If you're looking at buy versus build, because they've decided not to build, but if they buy, they can still. And build quite quickly. Mm, exactly. And alongside this, uh, Google also um, purchased technology and personnel for 40 minutes from Fossil, which is like um, they're developing their own watches and technology right, okay. within that sector. So this this is obviously going to be used to improve new Fitbit watches made by Google in the future. Perfect. And they already have like 
an operating system for these watches called Wear OS, which they've developed themselves. Right. So I think what's happened is they've got all the um, all the um, systems around it, but they haven't got the actual device itself. Right, and they're almost just waiting to pounce on Fitbit once mm. they're, they're price plummeted. Exactly, yeah. Like you have this in their sites for a long time, and they've already got the tech, so it just makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, and obviously this new technology is in, not really in circulation at the moment, so it can offer something new to the market, which I hope will bounce Fitbit back. Yeah. Um, in a statement by the Google device SVP, Rick Osterloh. Nice. Over the years, uh, Google has made progress with partners in the space of Wear OS and Google Fit, but we see the opportunity to invest even more into Wear OS, as well as introduce a made-by-Google wearable device into the market, usually their acquisition of Fitbit. Sure. So actually allowing them to use their their technology and try and put it out. Yeah, I mean, just going back to last month's um, episode that we did, we looked at uh, Apple and Beats, and the acquisition of Beats for three billion was their first ever, or their, no, not their first ever, but their biggest acquisition to date, right? Mm-hmm. And through buying that company, and it was really it kickstarted their journey into developing better quality headphones and wearable technology. And since then, you know, it's absolutely skyrocketed in terms of its contribution to Apple's overall product. And this could be something very similar. Perhaps. Yeah, I think they're probably hoping that they've looked at that, hoping yeah. a similar thing. They can do a similar thing, and they've mm. got to catch up, haven't they? Mm. Really, if they're going to be in a similar market, they've got to adapt, and they've got to catch up to what yeah, yeah. Apple is doing. They need some like aggressive innovation in that sector to try and absolutely. push themselves. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and also on Google's part, this is definitely diversification, as currently they have no products in this wearables market. Which is surprising, isn't it? For a company mm. of, um, you know, alphabet size. Yeah, exactly. Like you think that Google have the Google Watch out by now, but they don't. Yeah, so yeah. this is obviously good for them. And obviously more revenue streams for Google means yeah. less risk. And more data as well. Going well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a very interesting point, yeah. Um, there's also yeah other reasons for this merger like the data yeah which is also, which is very controversial controversial <laughs> and it's <laughs> is the main reason where it's probably not it might not be cleared or probably it might not yeah, be cleared yeah. by the regulation boards um, Google will have access to Fitbit's 28 million active users um, which they can use to benefit other sectors of their business by targeting ads or they can use this mass amount of data that they already they already have to kind of like combine sure. and give you well, the viewers at home like ads that are even more targeted at you to yeah. help you purchase stuff and get their advertising revenue up so the regulators and regulators in the eu are investigating the acquisition for whether the deal will um, damage competition disadvantaging other tracking apps and now google's play store or give uh, google more profiling data to improve its online search and advertising business so essentially what they're saying they could Google could potentially use their their app store that they have to promote their their um, wearable technology and try and like disadvantage the others, yeah. which is obviously anti competitive. Yeah, and it'd be interesting to see whether if let's say Google did launch their own um, watch, whether they would still allow Apple to have the search feature of primarily Google. You know, when you pose a question to Siri, mm-hmm. if it doesn't automatically know the answer, it'll go to Google. So interesting to see if they uh, keep that going because they're obviously a competitor in that area if they did decide to pursue that. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see what impact that would have on. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. If, I'm sure actually the Samsung Watch also uses Google. I assume. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. As well. So that could potentially be a USP that they could have because they have all the rights to it. It's their own yeah. search engine. 
um, and obviously contracts and things would, would impact but yeah it'd be interesting to see yeah, I think also Apple could respond because obviously yeah, their own app, they have their, their own app store and they could yeah. lower the searches of Fitbit and yeah, just make it more difficult for them. Which yeah, make see that happening for sure. Which is obviously anti-competitive, which the EU aren't too happy about. Yeah, yeah. Um, good. Um, so obviously these concerns, 28 million users, it's a lot of data. So, yeah. so obviously they can use this to entrench other areas like their Google search kind of like target people but on this matter google have said that they will not use this uh this data to benefit them however it's pretty unclear because obviously the history of google they've they've used data a lot they've actually been fined in the past like billions for um misusing people's data stuff like that however google have said in a statement will never sell personal information to anyone. Fitbit health and wellness data will uh, not be used for Google Ads and will give Fitbit users the choice to review, move, or delete their data. Fair enough. I mean, if they keep to their promise, I could see the deal and go through most So, yeah, obviously, it's a, it's a big statement on Google's part to try and ease the deal through. Sure. But I don't know how much validity it will have yeah. in the future. Or if it yeah, are. I mean, they'll probably have to put clauses and things like that um, upon closing that they mm. have to keep that promise. Or they would be heavily sanctioned for it. Yeah, that's how it'll probably go through. And obviously, um, the EU are meant to come to a decision on July 4th, um, 20th, which has but, passed now. Yeah. And they've actually extended it to, what's it? It's the 4th. The 4th of August. Yeah. So... It'd be, it'd be quite interesting to see what happens because they've done a deeper investigation into it and asked Google's competitors um, what's going to happen, what they um, what they think of them, and yeah. which could be. And so, what do Fitbit think then? Um, because it's it's a fairly hostile takeover in sort of mm. the way that it's being pursued by Google. So, what have Fitbit said? I think um, most of the Fitbit execs. Um, it seems like the people at Fitbit are pretty happy about it. Yeah. It's new capital. I mean, they're declining mm. every year. It's quite it's quite a stagnant business at the moment. It yeah. certainly looks like, and I think um, the, the like majority shareholders and directors, from what I've read in articles, seems like they're pretty welcome into the yeah to the change. If they kept separate, then there's little risk of jobs being losses and things like that. Exactly. It's just a lot of uh, new capital to pursue um, mm. new um, innovation within the, the product. So quite an exciting time for uh, both companies yeah because essentially the business is still staying the, staying the same mm-hmm. and it's still the same branding and everything it's just under new ownership and the ties you get with um being with google and stuff okay. which can only really benefit them yeah. i'd say um and then so in terms of like the deal structure how is it funded oh uh, so the funding of it so as we talked about earlier google have 18.5 billion pounds in cash which is enough to buy fitbit over right. nine times wow. so they've got more than enough in the bank to um, pull this off without having to um, uh, create debt to try and let, yeah, let the takeover happen. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's quite interesting though, in the past year, sorry, just having a look at some stats, that um, in the past year, uh, in the quarter even, Fitbit have actually cited a profit. Right, okay. So this is because of a tax return in the US from the government giving Fitbit money right. because of the coronavirus outbreak, which should also be taken into account and Google are taking them over. Sure. They've actually um, managed to make a profit, but before this, they were obviously in a, making a loss. Right? Making a very heavy loss yeah, in this quarter. Yeah. I think much bigger than last year's as well. Wow, okay. Which is 
Yeah, they get fooled when they get that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm sure that they won't be, but yeah, interesting to see why that has changed. Yeah, well, financials side of it. Um, in the first year, in the last year, even um, Fitbit have made it thirty. Uh, their revenue has decreased thirty percent. Okay. However, in the past three years, it's actually increased thirteen thirteen percent. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So short term wise, they're not doing so well, but they've they've actually managed to improve over yeah. a longer period of time. Yeah, but again, if you were to compare that with the average industry growth, mm. I'm sure they, you know, far fewer in terms yeah, of percentage. Yeah, true. Uh, other quite interesting things is their return on equity was minus fifty two percent, which isn't so great if you're thinking of investing. Yeah. Into more Google, so I say, um, currently. Um, their debt to equity is also 0.27 which means they've obviously they've got more debt than equity yeah which which would be worrying for Google but I think obviously they're taking this into account yeah they're buying they're buying a problem child exactly yeah and it's quite a risky move for Google but it could obviously pay off they're buying it at a low price hoping that it's gonna yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're looking at from looking at it from the perspective of have they got enough money to uh, potentially take the risk, then of course they have. You know, mm. uh, and the potential because it's such a growing market for the movement of the product uh, moving forwards is is tremendous. Mm. And obviously, on the other hand, Google's financials are pretty much impeccable. Yeah. You've got their debt to equity, for example, is two point four six percent of their entire funding is from debt which is compared to a 65% industry average which is pretty incredible on their part then obviously there's others that their current ratio 3.66% and their quit ratio 3.64% meaning they're just they're in good state they've got a lot of cash their cash flow is very their cash flow is very healthy yeah so they're they're obviously in a good state but yeah I mean if you were to describe the perfect uh, acquiring partner Mm. it would be Google yeah because they've just got enough money to do anything really in terms of uh, innovation wise they've already got all of the uh, intellectuals uh, that they've acquired from uh, Fossil mm-hmm. you know, they've already developed the technology to help it grow further they've got accompanying products that will help the, the individual watch or Fitbit and become much more than just an individual it would be part of the whole product line that they could be launching as well mm-hmm. as the glass and things like that to come I mean it is tremendous right yeah. the potential is huge exactly for Fitbit it's it's ideal there's no risk for Fitbit and it's very it's a risky um, move for Google but they've got more than enough cash and stuff to force it to work or either just it could be a failed project on their part and it's not too much of a too much of a deal it's not it's not going to drag them down yeah, but yeah, I don't think Google usually fell on things like this. So no, they they know what they're doing. They know yeah. what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but okay, fantastic. Um, we'll close out on Google and um, Fitbit there. Um, be interesting to see how that changes uh, come August fourth. Um, we will mm-hmm. also hopefully in the August episode give some sort of closure on that um, just to update everybody listening. But a really in- interesting case in terms of where we see wearable technology moving forwards, right? Yeah, so a very, very quickly expanding market. Absolutely.
Okay, perfect. So the second deal we'll be looking to cover in this part one is the Uber and Postmates deal, uh, which is worth 2.65 billion in an all-stock uh, acquisition by Uber. Um, so to begin with, uh, we'll go through the history of Uber and then Postmates. So Uber was founded by two tech entrepreneurs at the web, um, which is a uh, tech-based convention hosted in Paris, um, which is apparently where all of the biggest startup and the startup heads in the world um, meet every year. And actually a lot of um, big companies come out of that convention because people get talking and networking and that kind of thing. Um, so both originally, uh, the founders actually had startups before that, which they both sold. Um, they launched in San Francisco in May 2010, which is obviously the hub for Silicon Valley, uh, under the name UberCab. In 2011 was a crucial year as they managed to gather significant funding from incredible sources like Jeff Bezos and Go uh, Goldman Sachs, um, despite posing, uh, posting initial losses. Does seem like uh, Jeff Bezos invests in everything at the he moment, does, the technology yeah. firms. He gets it right somehow, somehow. Yeah, he does very well for himself. Um, so yeah, moving forwards, they expanded their product offering in 2012, introducing things like UberX and UberPool, um, which helped expand their um, product line further, um, targeting different markets. And they also increased their geographical presence, so moving into, into different countries. Uh, Uber, despite popularity, faces two big issues, their profit margins and law and regulation. They opened up their accounts in 2017 and actually showed losses of 3.8 billion, which have uh, further worsened as years to come, but more on that to follow. Uh, also in 2017, um, Transport for London banned Uber, um, although this did not stop Uber's London operations. Um, it's still an ongoing legal battle. And they also had a similar thing in New York. Um, and there was also a change in regulations mm. in uh, California, I believe. Sounds like a very costly um, legal yeah. process for them, which... Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Doesn't help um, there's, a, there's a lot of issues over the gig economy, which is um, quite a key talking point for mm. uh, this deal. I think it's very important on the government's part to be um, regulating that as well. Yeah, 100%. Because it's, it's all about where you draw the line, isn't it? It's, are they contractors? Uh, can they be paid below minimum wage? All of those kind of mm. questions that need to be answered moving forwards. In terms of market cap, um, Uber is about 55 billion, but their valuation, I believe, is about 82 to 100 billion. So uh, a bit of a gap there, but people obviously see mm, that it's gap, yeah. a growing market. Um, Revenue-wise is uh, 14.15 billion, uh, but their actual profit loss for the past year was negative 8.5 billion. So posting a loss of 8.5 billion people, that is absolutely massive. Um, and a really interesting case study in terms of why the, the business model of Uber and Lyft and others is failing. Um, moving over to the target side, Postmates. Postmates is a, a similar goods delivery service uh, like Uber Eats or Amazon. They um, mainly focus on small businesses like uh, brick and mortar companies uh, and also um, local takeaway sites and they deliver on scooters and such things. They were founded in 2011 and didn't launch their, their services until 2014. In 2015, the company announced they actually completed over 2.5 million deliveries and had 13,000 couriers, so a really rather quick expansion. Um, the company operates in um, 
2,940 cities in the US. Um, I, they are only in the US. I'd say I definitely could see that expanding as well. It's quite an oh, easy model to expand over, uh, overseas, especially in London. I think yeah. it would be a prime opportunity yeah. for them. Yeah, and there's uh, there's just so many like small uh, shops and things like that over here in the UK that it could easily be expanded over here. And with there's so many uh, electric scooters, it seems these days already. It's yeah. It's not on our products. Um, the last valuation was 2.4 billion. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were looking to go um, public with an IPO, um, which had a target valuation of 3.9 billion, um, but it never actually went ahead due to market conditions. But if we were to take this 3.9 billion target valuation, um, it would actually make Uber's purchase price seem a bargain. Revenues grew 53% from 2018 to 2019, just over a billion. And so um, it's a really fast growing company. I was going to say this IPO target valuation is pretty similar to the loss they posed this year. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Which is very interesting, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's look at the past two years' performance of both companies, starting off with Uber. Uber's had a really tough time the last two years. They've uh, they've narrowed losses and revenues have grown, but they're still posting losses year on year. Um, losses fell 15% year on year in 2018, um, but grew significantly from negative uh, 1.8 billion to over 8.5 billion, as aforementioned this year. Um, Dara, bear with me. Kazra Shahi was their new CEO after the founder Kalanick um, was actually fired by his board. Uh, he had many different ideas, um, Kalanick, and um, unfortunately there was a lot of infighting and he was eventually replaced by Dara, um, who's now an, ex- an extremely popular CEO um, amongst many and is, is sort of well represented within newspapers like The Economist and The Financial Times. They're still investing heavily within businesses. Um, which is which is fine, um, and they're looking to pursue to grow their market further in terms of the, the logistical network that they have with things like Uber Freight and Uber Eats also being an opportunity to um, enable Uber drivers to have more than one um, purpose when they're out. I think that's de- that was definitely an important step for them in um, diversifying yeah. what they do rather than just relying on that one one sector, making them a more valuable company as well. Absolutely, having and more it brands. It should also help them um, if you're looking at. The gig economy stipulations, you know, if they can deliver food if they don't have any lifts available, then they're also able to earn a bit more money and not yeah, the drivers pound an hour threshold like we have mm. over here in the UK. Um, they're divesting out of uh, unprofitable regions like Russia and Southeast Asia, selling off parts of Uber to other companies um, within those geographical markets. Um, they're investing heavily within Uber Eats. Um, which is actually expanding much faster than the ride. So in the past year, the ride's revenue has only grown, I believe it's uh, like 18%. Um, whereas Uber Eats is growing about 70% there or thereabouts, and Fright also growing about 70-75%. So um, significant growth in those areas and a slowing within the ride, something that will come over, uh, come on to further um, a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're looking at competitor Lyft, Lyft actually took 28% of the market share last in the same year, so that's in 2018, which just shows that there's a sort of a slowing in terms of Google, uh, not Google, sorry, Uber's offering um, and how competitors are now actually looking to undercut them. Um, let's look at 2019. 2019 was an interesting year. Uh, Uber actually went public uh, along with Lyft, um, which shows sort of a growth in terms of the company's um, general uh, position from a, a private company into a public one. Um, they struggled a lot with um, law and regulation as did many others. 
Um, and, but there is obviously the promising signs of growth in other areas like fright needs. Uh, coronavirus most recently has been significant. If we look at how um, you know companies which are able to uh, operate under these difficult times, Uber has actually been you know a saviour for many people who are living within cities to be able to get around safely without using public transport uh, and also get food from restaurants and such things and actually yeah. helping restaurants um, within those places. You do have to think though, because obviously um, taxi taxi services are probably not doing so well over yeah. coronavirus because people staying inside, not moving around as much. But then you've got other so there are other services like Uber Eats, which is an absolute saviour for them. Yeah. Because I'm guessing their revenues have. Um, have dramatically increased as people yeah. can't go out to get the food so they're paying other paying people to deliver it for them yeah i mean imagine if they weren't diversified they'd be in that period they would have made absolutely no money exactly um and would have suffered most likely would have suffered even worse losses this year yeah. um actually interestingly um, they lost the rights to deliver mcdonald's food uh, i think that was in january uh, which is actually really important because 80% of UK customers, they actually rarely switch apps, according to McKinsey, in terms of food apps, um, in the UK that is. So having exclusivity over restaurants like McDonald's is significant. You know, if you're, if you, potentially if you're looking to get a McDonald's takeaway, but you don't live close enough, That's then your only option is to use it's the a, It's a really interesting stat as well, because if someone else has the right to it exclusively, these 80% of people that wouldn't change obviously going to change over yeah 100% that could definitely hurt their their bottom line yeah and exclusivity could actually be a saviour um, in terms of Google size and the amount of capital they could potentially have on hand that is one way in which they're actually able to gain some sort of competitive advantage mm. because the margins are so thin within the industry uh, moving over just quickly to Postmates Postmates is uh, a growing company uh, couriers actually earn on average uh, $18.32 per hour over in the States, um, and that's Postmates, and their per hour wage is significantly higher than uh, the economy, uh, gig economy workers, um, which are working for companies like Uber. So they're actually seen as quite, uh, not ethical, but a company that treats its staff fairly, and if you're, if you're working for them, you're getting a better wage. Uh, they did plan to have an IPO in 2019, which never materialised due to market conditions, um, but their revenues almost doubled from 2018 to 2019. So um, a lot of growth for uh, Postmates and uh, Uber to an extent, but Uber obviously posting a lot of losses. Uh, looking at the mm-hmm. theoretical analysis now, um, looking at the deal itself, Google's, uh, no, bloody hell, not Google, uh, Uber, Uber's expansion of their network is their key thing, right? So they're looking to essentially grow and develop their logistical network of people. So they've got people on scooters now through acquiring Postmates. Mm-hmm. Uh, the growth of the market share, they believe their, their greater ability to have an advantage where they've got more drivers who can get to locations more quickly um, and they hope that people will see that that's an advantage to them, basically, which is interesting. Uh, looking mm-hmm. at uh, the entities, they are actually looking to keep both separate despite looking to um, synchronise the two in terms of the logistical network, which again is something that is significant within the gig economy because if you looked at Uber and Lyft, the drivers are actually shared. About about 70% of Uber drivers also use Lyft um, and other That's services. Crazy. So in terms of the way that they all sort of cross-share platforms, 
again, is it really that much of an advantage to have a bigger logistical network? Mm, I guess that. I guess you also got to think that um, obviously um, Postmates and Uber are two separate brands. Yeah. There's obviously value in the Postmates brand. Yeah. So I guess they want to keep that around to try and keep those yeah. customers on that because obviously not all the of them. PR would be mm, uh, mm. Uh, wages. You, know. you wouldn't. You think if they got rid of the Postmates brand, maybe not all of them would want to move over to Uber. Yeah. So they might potentially lose out on customers between the two. Yeah, hundred percent. So probably worth keeping both brands about. Yeah. Um, just looking at it in the US, um, Postmates has significant presence in LA, Miami and Phoenix, um, which offers Uber um, quite an advantage in those geographical areas specifically. Um, Postmates market share has decreased 8% um, due to deeper pocket competitors like uh, Uber, Lyft, etc. Um, being able to increase their positions. Uh, however, if the two companies were to combine, they would have, I believe it's 37% market share in the US, um, which enables them to, the, the companies combined to catch up to DoorDash, who, who have about 45% market share, they're the market leader within the, uh, within the US. Um, in, in May, Uber announced that Eats increased revenues 100% year on year, uh, whilst rides fell 80% at the height of the coronavirus, again showing how the two balances out. So by further investing in the other arm of the business, it should help balance out those revenues moving forward if we were to have a second wave, for example. Mm. Um, yeah. It's just a number of deals that look at Uber are looking to complete in the coming year and um, and already have. So they've, they've been doing similar deals uh, such as uh, Corner Shop Acquisition, which is a similar service in Latin America uh, and also Careful in France. They failed to do a partnership with the largest US competitor DoorDash um, a little bit earlier on this year. Um, despite having a mutual investor in SoftBank. Um, so they were hoping to actually join forces with the uh, 45% market share DoorDash, yeah, which is huge. That's a massive monopoly though, isn't it? Yeah. Even at the moment, I guess it's a massive problem with it being an oligopoly. But... Yeah, yeah. It, it would have been absolutely crazy if those two would have combined. I could never have seen that actually going through regulation. Um, but under Trump, you never, you never know. Um, yeah, crazy things have happened, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. So. But in terms of actually looking at Postmates as a business, they do offer something slightly different to Uber because they're looking to develop uh, giving small businesses like a, a local corner shop or a local bakery or something the opportunity mm-hmm. to compete and have uh, same-day delivery like a, an Amazon would have, which does offer great opportunities for small businesses like that. I guess it's um it's a slightly different service to what the other things um Uber offer at the moment as well. It's more um I guess it's more product based rather than uh, fast food based. Yeah, or, if you were to look at that from a government perspective, you'd potentially look at that very fondly. You know, if you're somebody who like a, a local government, or um, when we see the increase of big supermarkets like in the US, how we saw uh, Walmart completely crush uh, local mama and papa stores. Now having something like a Postmates that encourages people to go and shop at these places because they can actually get those products on the same day is significant. And also, um, especially here at the moment, we've got a massive problem with like the high street dying. Absolutely. I guess a similar thing's happening in the US. It really helps those businesses get um, a competitive advantage as well so they can start getting to people's homes yeah, and, and staying yeah. up. Yeah, and if we were looking at it from a brand perspective, this could potentially massively improve the public perspe- uh, perception of Uber. Uber, I think, are 
potentially looked down upon a little bit because of mm. the, the gig economy um, sort of pieces that have come out this year, criticising companies like them. Um, but having something that's helping local providers, which are looked fondly upon, yeah. it does potentially improve that. It, it could actually be a key driver for Uber. Yeah, as long as Uber don't drastically change the model at all to yeah. kind of um, cost save in a sense. Yeah. I think that would really benefit them. Yeah, yeah, and it also could help them rival Amazon in a way. Um, this deal offers uh, delivery as a service now, and so if you're looking to not have a ride, you're not looking to have food, but you are looking to get something from a local shop um, in, um, delivered on the same day, you could now use Uber. Mm. And in that way, it is actually competing with Amazon. Yeah, which is always good, because obviously Amazon at the moment... Uh, they seem unstoppable yeah. and to have these smaller business businesses get on the same level as them but I think that's only a good thing yeah um, so move over to CEO comments uh, both companies have actually already been working together for a few years so Uber have been a smaller investor within um, Postmates for quite a few years now and they've been working um, I don't think uh, in theory they've just been almost like a silent investor but they are now looking to develop that relationship further but that can be seen from the quotes here um, from uh, Kovaras, sorry, Kozrashaw Shahi Shahi, who's the Uber CEO, he says the vision for us is to become an everyday service uh, supported by a more efficient combined merchant and delivery network. Uber and Postmates mm-hmm. have long shared a belief that platforms like ours can power much more than just food delivery. They can be a hugely important part of local commerce and communities, all the more important during crises like COVID-19, to which I completely agree. Yeah, especially at the moment when, well, less more so in like a month ago when you weren't allowed in shops and shops yeah. had to close because yeah. they just simply couldn't get the people through the door they didn't have a delivery service yeah it keeps the light on for a lot mm. of companies and it's like, like the second wave especially in america at the moment they've had that massive second wave yeah and i think and, the problem in the u.s will persist for a lot longer than over here as well if you look at your current trends yeah i, I have to agree with you on that one and yeah. i guess it's important for the survival of these smaller businesses rather than like after this crisis, I guess we're going to see a lot of big companies surviving and smaller ones shutting down. But a company like this and Uber diversifying into that, yeah, they'll be able to survive, and Uber will make will be able to make some money on top of that. Yeah, hundred percent. And the more we speak about it, the more it seems like it is an ethical move for Uber. You know, mm. It's a PR move as well as um, an acquisition to develop their network further. You know, this Postmates just seem almost like such an on-trend twenty-first century company. It's taking care of their, their carriers much more than others. Mm-hmm. And having that as, as an entity of Uber is potentially yeah. fantastic. And uh, Bastian Lehman, who is the Postmates CEO, who has a much nicer name than the Uber CEO. Uh, he, uh, what was that one again? Uh, don't even. Uh, he says, uh, great allies. Uh, work to, we work together to create the best practices within the industry. Um, and it could be a great combination. So um, promising mm-hmm. signs uh, for both. Yeah. Moving into the financials, which we've previously discussed, Uber is a cash incinerator to many. They've been making billions of losses for quite a few years now. Uh, if we were to look at it, um, if you were to compare the year prior to their IPO compared to Facebook's, a year prior to Uber's IPO, they posted a loss of $3 billion compared to Facebook in 2001, I believe, 
uh, maybe actually a little bit later on than that, maybe 2006, they posted a profit of 910 million, um, which just shows um, potentially the actual operational efficiency of, of, of Uber. Um, more again of that to come. But then I guess a lot of these tech companies have gone through their losses to a country, so maybe they're Uber in the future, yeah, hoping yeah. it's going to Yeah, and that's sort of what we're going to be touching on next, right? So the outlook of uh, the gig economy and whether Uber can actually achieve operational efficiency in the future, mm-hmm. whether they can actually make a profit. But just some uh, sort of stats and, and things to throw at you first, which will uh, interlink, I promise. Uh, 70% of Uber drivers also use Lyft, as I've said earlier. 24% of um, all rides for Uber come from five cities, which is, uh, I think it's London, uh, New York, Paris, Sao Paulo, and um, another one, I can't remember. It's got me think when, they, when they're shutting down, when um, Transport for London is trying to have this legal battle with them, seeing yeah. that London's one of the top five uh, places, is it must be a little bit worrying for them. So obviously you want to diversify and... Yeah, and let's say if London did do that, that sets the trend for places like New York and Paris to do something mm, similar definitely. as well, because they also have, you know, long-standing taxi companies. You could also say the brand thing maybe helped with that. Yes. Saying they've got this other they've got this other stuff they're hoping to like move over and help everyone. Yeah. Okay, let's delve into the actual losses. So Uber uh, lost 8.5 billion this year. If we were to compare that with um, much smaller providers such as Bolt, for example, Bolt actually posted a profit. Uh, I think it was in the region of uh, 900 million, I believe. Um, don't quote me on that. But if we were actually to look as to whether Uber's um, aim of having the largest logistical network within the market is actually much an advantage, one could potentially say no, because you're looking at companies like Bolt, which have a much smaller one, but are actually overturning a profit. Sure, they have a smaller valuation, but what's more important to shareholders in the long term, returns mm. or a falling profit every year, you know, net losses. I guess it shows like the running of the business is obviously Bolt are doing something right, I guess, more yeah. localised. Yeah, and in terms of what they're actually doing right, if you look at the way that Uber's income um, works, 24% of that is coming from just five cities. So what Bolt are able to do is they're actually able just to target these cities and undercut them because they've got significantly lower overheads compared to Uber. So they're able, as long as they have, uh, can gather enough drivers to um, complete a sufficient amount of lifts that they desire, or that actually the, de- the demand derived from, they can undercut Uber and they can offer many more uh, discounts and, and such things, which you don't often see on Uber. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so that way they are actually providing an advantage to customers. The only thing that Uber has over them is that they were the first mover and they mm-hmm. have a significant name. But if we were to actually look at it from a business model perspective, having small localised providers um, actually offers um, potentially much more of a profit margin um, because their overheads are significantly lower. You know, 70% of Uber drivers are also using Lyft at the same time. There's no exclusivity Uber have over those kind of uh, the drivers that they use. True. And I guess, especially with Bolt, they've managed to be a smaller company and like perfect um, the actual operations of the business. Yeah, it, but, it's a lot easier, isn't it? Because Uber have sort of shown the way mm-hmm. and Bolt have now come yeah. in and copied it. But- and maybe scaling that up, they could potentially um, try and use that expertise and these processes that they've made to try and a ton of profit even bigger each year yeah 100% uh, and in terms of then looking at um, Uber and the future of rides moving forward 
The next big tidal wave does seem driverless technology. Um, millions are being pumped into this area by Alphabet, Google, who we've spoken about uh, previously. Um, and so they're actually looking to develop driverless cars, which is uh, quite a big phenomenon moving forwards. If we were to look at that in terms of the impact that it would have on a company like Uber, Currently, Uber gives about 75 to 80% of the uh, total fee per ride to its driver. Take away 85, uh, 75 to 80%, and Uber actually get to keep all of it pretty much, which is significant. That's a massive difference, and that's like what, an 80% increase in revenue. Absolutely. Yeah, so. and um, if we were then to look at it from Alphabet's perspective, would they then post a, a buy or a build dilemma? Because would they want to buy Uber with their um, infrastructure or would they actually prefer to develop their own market? Because as we've seen, it can be easily copied by people like Bolt. Mm. Um, and if they had their own cars, Uber's um, driver cars, compared to driverless, which aren't uh, making a profit, driverless cars, which would make a profit, a significant one at that potentially, um, would Uber actually be much of a target in the future and would they actually be able to compete with the likes of um, Google who have a lot more cash in surplus who can mm. uh, put that money into the new technology it'd be interesting to see because yeah, you've got to say um, driverless technology is great and all but it would cost a lot of money to try and implement on a large scale Yeah. and someone like Google as we've talked about earlier 19 billion in cash Yeah. definitely have the assets to do that whereas yeah, I think they're probably the only company who could yeah. And they've got the technology, whereas Uber, I guess, 8.5 billion loss, it could be difficult for them to push on to that, even even if it gives them like significant advantages. Yeah, and the actual infrastructure that Uber have built is valued at about 22 billion, which compared to their valuation of 82 to 100 billion, so if, it, if, if Uber uh, were being uh, acquired for their current valuation, it wouldn't really make sense to Google if they're buying them simply for their infrastructure. Mm. I think potentially they'd be looking to buy them for the app and its efficiencies uh, and the amount of knowledge it has on uh, Google Maps and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, and the customers are already there. Yeah, but... and the customers are already there. The well-known brand is potentially worth a lot as well. You're right, you're right. Um, so it's a really tough time in terms of the rides, in terms of what they're looking to offer, because you've got potentially 10 to 20 years before driverless technology mm. comes in. Are 8.5 billion losses sustainable? Absolutely not. So it's really, it's going to be a real race against time, in my opinion, between mm. whether we see driverless tech get implemented or whether we see Uber um, crash and burn or whether they're able to streamline their business yeah. further. I definitely think it would be an important next step for them. Like, it's the it's the logical next step in the advancement advancement of technology of yeah. taxis. Because obviously, we've come from taxi services that you ring up, turn on an app. It's the next step in that process. Yeah. I feel. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And then, if we look at it in terms of Postmates, Postmates doesn't really contribute that much. If you were to consider the breakdown in revenue for Uber, so Uber currently uh, gets around eighteen billion in revenues. About 13.5 of that, off the top of my head, is from rides, and then 4.5 is from Eats. Mm. Obviously, Eats is a faster growing market, but it's unlikely to ever eclipse rides. And so, how much of a, of a bearing does this deal actually have on the long term goal of actually achieving operational efficiency and overturning your profit? It, it might help balance out the losses that are currently being posted by rides, but it isn't actually going to have that much of a bearing because there's too much of a difference between the rides revenue and the eats revenue mm, yeah I do think that and 
definitely going forward it will help them in some aspects but I, I don't feel like it's the it's not the future for uber necessarily it kind of just expands their current their current customer base and yeah. their revenues at the moment to try and hopefully go towards making that profit so they can make that next jump yeah i think it's more than anything just trying to capitalize on the growth within the mm, market definitely uh, and also potentially with the impact of law and regulation that is having on uber in terms of the ride service and how that could uh, perhaps uh, decrease their revenues in markets like California, which has just posted new law and regulation over um, the sick pay and the hour uh, hour pay for Uber drivers and the um, the way that they're classified in terms of contractors versus uh, employees, mm. it could potentially help balance out revenues, but not by much. Yeah, especially for investors going forward, the law and regulation around it is yeah. definitely a, something to be aware of. It's, it's a concern, isn't it? Yeah. So it's a great way for Uber to become, uh, to become multi-dimensional. Um, however, if they're really looking to overturn a profit, they do need to become far more streamlined in their main product offering, which is uh, the rides, which again is such a headache because it's how do you increase that margin? Well, they can't really because they're just going to get undercut by people like Bolt. Their only hope really is to decrease their overhead significantly and factorize these things in, which is, it's, it's again, it's such a headache. So it'd be interesting to see, um, especially, you know, people who are big into Uber and people who look to invest in Uber because they think it's a company of the future, because let's be fair, when it first came, it really did seem like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you're booking a taxi through your phone now and it's turning up to your door in five, 10 minutes. The operational efficiency of that does seem fantastic compared to the old school model of the taxi. But again, you'd be so surprised because it literally pays losses of billions yeah. every year. But then we've seen it before with companies like Spotify, they've managed to turn around their losses yeah. and they're now yeah. making a profit. So it'd be interesting to see how they manage to work here and streamline their costs or create more revenue in the future. Yeah, and that's all they can do. It's it's, it's going to be streamlining and diversifying Mm. into profitable areas, which is what this is. So um, a really interesting talking point. I hope you guys enjoyed that in terms of uh, listening to the current interworkings of uh, Uber as a business model. And hopefully it's actually a bit bit of a surprise for everybody to um, hear those things and and interesting nonetheless. So um, we're going to take a break there um, and we're going to join back in part two.